Awesome. Well, again, it's always a privilege and an honor to come and just share uh, what what God has. And so, uh, just this week, maybe not do that way. Slide off there. Um, just this week was was one of those weeks that um, wasn't the smoothest for our family. And um, generally speaking, I, I you know um, sometimes I guess can can look at at things and and maybe not stop and, and look back at like, often there's the spiritual realm. And uh, I just really felt like this week, like kids waking up, multiple kids waking up at night and just all these sort of things, like everything was smooth and just going so well. Uh, and then this week happened as I'm really digging into the word and planning and preparing. And, and so uh, I just really felt like this message um, needed to be shared. And again, um, I just want you to know that, that I love you and we're praying for you and uh, in no way are, are, am I trying to just simply point fingers directly at you that uh, we say this often, but as you go through these, these words that, that they as well dig deep at your heart as well. And so as Megan and I discussed and talked, um, it as well just brought up things in our own lives and how we have perspectives on things. And so, uh, again, I pray that this morning will be a message, honestly, for you. Uh, as we can often sometimes look like, oh, well, that's for somebody else. But I really believe that this will have an impact on you and, and, and I, as, as obviously I've, I've gone through this. And what I was kind of processing this was a story of, of reconnecting. And maybe you've experienced that as well, that, that over years with friendships and, and time, or, or just maybe you've moved away or life changes, you, you lose contact with friends. And a number of years ago, um, you know, when Meg and I were first married, I, I got reconnected with some friends that I hadn't seen in quite a long time. And it was awesome. Like they were, they were, they were people that I, I spent a lot of time with um, in school and, and that sort of thing. And but whenever we hung out in, in larger groups with, with their group, it always seemed like, oh, hey, guess what? He's a Christian. What do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And, and they really, it, it turned into to just these topics of like, ask me what I think. And, and at that time in my life, for some reason, I really felt I needed to justify what I thought. And I would get into these debates and these arguments and, and it, it just seemed to come up every single time. And sadly, eventually, right, that friendship again, we, we distanced because it just seemed like arguments always started. And, and I really, as reflecting back on that, I think I sacrificed a connection and a relationship because I wasn't focused on loving that group. I was focused on and I was prioritizing being right and having the last word. I, I, in a way, just wanted to prove my theology. And so this morning, I want you to know again that I love and I care and, and I, I want to see us move forward in some of these things. And, and again, this, this type of message can often be taken the wrong way, and I don't mean it to be taken that wrong way. And, and I want you to just really feel the heart behind it. That, that personally asking, Holy Spirit, what are, what are you saying to me through this this morning? That, that we're going to read again an encounter with Jesus and, and a religious leader. Where, where he tries to justify himself. 
And again, the definition to justify is to show or to prove to be right or to be reasonable. And so again, if we go back into, into Luke, and, and what we see here is Luke obviously investigated many of these eyewitness accounts. And he, comp, and he put this together, right? And we've been going through that through the number of weeks. And in this section of scripture, Jesus sets out with his disciples on this long road trip to Jerusalem. And as we've seen in, in other messages throughout the week, as he arrives at various places and he, and he announces the good news of the kingdom. He would call people to follow him and join this new thing that God was doing in Israel. There are many of his teachings in this section, and then specifically about how following Jesus will force us, you and I, and the people he was encountering, to rethink how we were doing things. And so, join with me in Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. Let's pray before we open the word. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is living and it is active, it is sharper than a two-edged sword. Holy Spirit, I just pray that your words would ring true this morning, Lord God. That again, that we would feel just a sense of, of how you want to make adjustments, that we would re-surrender to you, Father God. That, Lord God, that you love us and you, you care about us and you want to see us move to be more like your son. And so, God, I just ask for you to move through your word this morning. And that, Lord God, that it would fall on all of us, Lord God, in a way of reconnecting back to you and to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 25 says, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, What should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Verse 29. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus replies with a story, with a parable. A Jewish Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan, uh, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil, wine, and bandaged them. 
Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. When he took where there, he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. As we read this story, and, and at the beginning here, we, we see that it, it seems like just kind of one of those encounters with Jesus from the religious leaders, doesn't it? That, that he's, just, he's asking a question, okay, how can I test Jesus? How can I catch him off guard? And, and up to verse 28, we, we can see that, again, it's just kind of that, well, how do I inherit eternal life? Kind of one of those, those questions Jesus is being asked, as we, we see in many of the Gospels. But first, I think it's important to just go back to that, that, that early part, where it talks about loving the Lord your God. And, and I think it's, again, important just to, to break down each of those words. Before we move on. And so, first off, again, what they would have taken is they would have taken that passage out of Deuteronomy. And and at first it talks about the mind. And the mind being important in this process of loving. It, it again, it connects with the truth. It's, again, in that, that full agreement revealed with the will of God. The, the, it talks about in Scripture about, right, God renewing our minds. That, again, our thoughts, they, they determine actions. They, they determine responses often, don't they? And, and that, again, this, these actions and, and often are, are this key in how, how God continues to sanctify us as we walk out our journey. Then, then again, the scripture, it talks about the heart. And you can love the knowledge of God, can't you? You can, you can love this idea of kind of the Christian worldview or, or godly values. You could, you could follow his teachings or, or have biblical morals. This idea of in our heart, like, I'm, I'm supposed to do these things, yet it can take a while, can it, for our head and our heart to, to catch up with this idea of loving God and, and doing these things and responding to these things, can it? Then, then the word soul, again, this, 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 the center of us and, and loving with one's soul implies that, again, love must, must permeate to the core, to the very core of each of us. His very will be inside. And then it goes on and, and this idea of strength or might comes up again and, and we see the meaning of, of loving God with our might. This word could also kind of be looked at as strength. And like I said before, in Deuteronomy 6, 5 is where this comes up. And in the Old Testament, it comes up often. 
And so if we kind of do this play on words like we often do, and again, I don't have a, a degree or, or anything like that in, in the wordsmithing, but, but what if, again, this word kind of came down to vary? What if, what if this loving God tied into the veryness of each of us? For that the strength of a person, not as simply who we are, but, but what we have at our disposal. Everything. The veryness. And again, just continue to think with me just for a minute. As, as Jesus' call to love Yahweh starts with our heart and then moves out to our being, could this not connect with the veryness? One, this, this step that includes all of the resources God has given to us. Our veryness. So again, this, this doesn't just mean that the call to love God is just with this idea of physical muscle, but with everything we have available for honoring God. It, including our, our, our spouse, our children, our, our, our homes, our gifts, our abilities, our finances, the, the, the tools, the resources we have. Everything. So again, just wanting to, to paint this picture of, of what loving God looks like. And again, how, how Jesus said, like, you're right. Like, you understand the law. You understand you can, you can speak it out. But, but again, if we look at verse 29, there's a twist, isn't there? And again, the... the some translations use lawyer, but again, it was this, this religious person who, who, again, knew the law well. So not in kind of the context of maybe how we would think of a lawyer, but somebody who had studied and knew God's word. But again, in verse 29, we see, what does he ask? He, he continues the conversation. He, he could have just kind of left it at that, right? He could have said, okay, God, you're right, Jesus said, good, you know that. Loving God is so important, and he could have just left it there, but he didn't, did he? Who, who is my neighbor? That, that again, we see that, that he's got an agenda here, doesn't he? And I think often I would, I would kind of skim over that part. And I really, again, focusing on it this, this morning is, is the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked who is his neighbor. And again, as I was planning and preparing and, and looking at different resources and things like that, I was listening to some podcasts, and, and, and Christine Kane was talking about this as well. And she, she says, if anybody knows that, she, she doesn't, often in her best, she doesn't beat around the bush, if you listen to her. And she says this, she says, well, the lawyer wanted Jesus to say you were doing all the right things. That, that you were kind of checking all the Christian boxes. But living rightly should be to do good for people, every person, whether it's man or child, regardless of political persuasion, religious beliefs, social economic status, regardless of whether we agree or disagree with them, whether we understand or don't understand, whether we feel like we can relate to them or not. And she, she talked about, which I, I feel like is also in this passage, as she can, talked about how I know I can do this in my own life, that, that I can walk around acting like a Christian. 
But I need to stop and just be a Christian. And what does that look like? And I believe the parable of the Good Samaritan takes, again, away from that expert of the law, that religious law, the opportunity to attempt self-justification. He, he thought he had it all figured out, didn't he? And again, as I continue just to, to look at this and, and, and dive into this, I found again just some, again, some amazing information and, and going through some of this through the, um, some of you may, may see these and, and again, the Bible project, we use it at school and, and there's just, again, just some, some things that are, I thought were just so, just connected well to this. And they were talking about that, that some people, again, this idea of injustice and, and how, again, this religious leader, like he receives benefits or, or privileges from unjust social structures. And sadly, history has shown us that when the oppressed even gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. That, that again, as, as I read this, it, it looked at my own heart that it's, it said there, it said that we all participate in some way, don't we, in injustice whether actively or passively, even unintentionally. And as we see here in the scripture that the, the early followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as such as power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. And if, if, again, if God declared somebody righteous when they didn't deserve it, their response was, and reasonable response was to seek righteousness and justice for others. And whether it's in our own lives or, or looking at the scripture and, and Jesus' time there, this is a radical way of life, isn't it? Making, making other people's problems my problems. Advocating for the vulnerable and, and making sure that, that we all rise together. And again, what Jesus meant by loving his neighbor as yourself, it's not easy and it, guess what? It's not quick, is it, friends? It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of Micah. He says, God has told you humans what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And, and others speaking on this topic said this, Pope Francis said this, he says, love after all can never be just abstraction. He says, but its very nature, it indicates something concrete intentions, attitudes, and behaviors that are shown in daily living. As we see in the Good Samaritan, that, that again, the attitudes and the actions that came from the Samaritan, to love that person when he saw, he had compassion for that person in that moment. And then I, again, like I, I, I often do is, is I, I try to put myself into that situation. And, and I thought, okay, well, God, like what, 
What was holding back those other people? What is, what is holding me back from the things God has, has called me to? And, and again, I found kind of digging into the context of, of that road where they were walking. If I found, again, it just it highlighted that, that, again, Jerusalem is located on a mountain at an elevation of about 2,000 feet. And Jericho sits in the Rift Valley near the Dead Sea. So again, several hundred feet below sea level. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho winds through this rocky mountain terrain. And again, it loses about 3,000 feet of elevation in just 27 kilometers. So you can see, again, just if we think of the geography, it wasn't an easy road to walk on. It wasn't an easy road to travel. And so what we see is, if we look at that, again, as such train affords thieves opportunities for ambush and easy escape routes. So again, travelers knew that this road was a dangerous road. And that, and that maybe possibly they could think, guess what, I could even be next. That if, if that was the outcome to that person, maybe somebody's just waiting behind the next rock for me. Maybe, maybe they thought again, they looked by, and this, this sounds crude, but maybe they thought again it was, he was a lost cause. Maybe thought he had died, and, and they were moving along their way, so they didn't become the next person. Maybe again that, that they fell into this idea and belief of the system that they've been a part of for so long that Jesus kept trying to knock down. That, that again, if we go back into some of the things that they, they believed was this touching something impure would make them impure. That it talks about in, in the word that a Jew touching a dead human be, body rendered unclean for seven days. That they would have to then go through this, this cleansing, this ceremony on the third and seventh day, at least they'd be cut off from the assembly. And again, an unclean priest or Levite, which again, different translations would use priest and Levite, is prohibited from conducting temple duties until cleansed. Again, maybe, again, it was that fear of, of losing what they thought so dear. But again, Jesus, as we see, is trying to get them to look past that. That, that again, it's not this idea of, of how Jesus talked, how we see him talking to lepers and people who are sick. It's not the outside that makes you dirty, right? When Jesus comes, and, and even just what Paul mentioned about uh, Isaiah, right, where, where he came in and that coal, it talks about in Isaiah, touched his lips and made him clean. Because he said, Lord, I'm unworthy to be in your presence. And, and God was showing him a picture of what the Holy Spirit does, making us clean. And as we go out and as we pray over people, they become to know Jesus and they become clean in, in his sight. Through the living water that flows through us. It's not the outside going in. It's, it's inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And those priests, I think, got caught in that idea. The lawyer, again, as we, we look at that story, the lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He couldn't even utter it on his lips. He says, right, as we look at the story, he says, the one who showed mercy. 
He still hadn't got to that place that Jesus was trying to get him to. Because, again, if we look at the, the history of Samaritans, like the Israelites, the Jews, they, they despised them and hated them. And it goes, goes back to the history of Israel and, and, and again, just intermarrying and, and different nations taking over. And they, they hated the Samaritans. And again, I just love how Jesus, right? Jesus could have, could have flipped it the other way, that the Samaritan was the one that needed help. But that's not what Jesus did. Because he again wanted to show this, again, this expert, how do you really love the people that, that you find hard to love? Again, from that perspective, a Samaritan would, would be despised and rejected. Again, there's, there's, Jesus puts this irony in this story about their concern for this religious purity that I was talking about. From, again, a Samaritan, right? But as Jews considered them unclean, it again fulfills the requirements of the law to love your neighbor as yourself. Being a neighbor means treating any person near you as a neighbor without laboring or or. Or again, over this definition, where about laboring over the definition of your neighbor keeps you from helping the person in need. This idea of showing mercy, again, tied to loving our neighbors. Jesus wants this religious leader, he wants us and the outsiders to see what the way God sees them as sons and daughters being reclaimed from death. That Jesus' kingdom is wide open to anybody. This, again, only requirement as we see is to humble ourselves and recognize we all need God's mercy. And so the religious leaders' rejection of Jesus and his crew is actually a rejection of God. But Jesus' response goes much deeper than distinctions between small and great commands. It shows that he understood the question about loving God with your very ness. He showed that one's love for people reveals the degree of his, his love for God. The, the first commandment there actually guarantees the second, and they, they can't be separated. To love is to have the highest eternal good for a person and to, to show it in love and in action, demonstrated in action, in a response. And again, others just sharing their thoughts on, on the, the, just how this connects to our day to day. It just sa it says this, and somebody said this. It said, aren't we surrounded by people who have been robbed and battered? Aren't we surrounded by people who have been, been the victims of drugs and human trafficking, of sex tourism, inner, inwardly devastated, people who sit empty in the midst of material abundance, all this is of a concern to us. It calls us to have the eye and heart of our neighbor and to have the courage to love 
our neighbor. And as I kind of just wrap this all together, I encourage the, the worship team to come forward. And some of these things, again, that I was, I was reflecting on and, and connecting to Jesus' encounter was, I know in my life, and, and again, possibly for yours as well, is that when we are pushed or squeezed, our true colors come out. That again, the lawyer was squeezed in that situation. Who is my neighbor? And his real heart came out. That Jesus saw past and looked at his heart. That, that when, when I know that when I'm squeezed or, or people are pressing upon me, the, the real me comes out. And, and I can see it that it comes out in, in mine, in your relationships, and in our interactions, in our speech, in our, in our social media posts, and in our tweets. And again, if I can continue just to be real and, and confess that it's easy to get completely lost in the turbulence of disagreements and, and polarization and the uncertainty and varying personalities and agendas, and actually end up abandoning Jesus' command to love our neighbors. That, that I know that I can come preoccupied with, with proving and justifying and being right, and completely lose sight of how we're thinking about people, speaking about people, posting about people, treating people in the midst of controversy. Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor only when we agree. Love your neighbor only if they treat you well first. Love your neighbor only when you understand where they are coming from. Love your neighbor only when it's convenient. Love your neighbor only when it doesn't cost you anything. The Bible in, in 1 Corinthians talks about this scent or this perfume that we give off. This, this aroma. And I was challenged as well for myself, what, what aroma am I giving off? What aroma when I walk into a room, when I have interactions with people, what aroma am I giving off? Is it peace? Is it joy? Is it love? Is it goodness? Is it self-control? 
Is it hope? Humility? Compassion? Or, or have I been giving off lovelessness? Being superior? Criticism, anger, and division? And so this morning, I again been really challenged myself with this message. Holy Spirit, do, do I need to, I need you to, to correct some things in my heart in the way that I see it? Because it's the way I see it and not the way you see it. God, help me get back to being that aroma that gives off peace, joy, love, goodness, self-control, hope, humility, and compassion. Again, I hope that through this message, friends, you don't feel condemned. I, I definitely didn't this week, but challenged through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to relook at these things. Loving my neighbor. Thanks, Nate.